Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I've got a special guest for you tonight. Uh, we've got Cody Stavenhagen from the Athletic Detroit with us. Um, Cody's going to be heading down to, are you, I think you're heading down to spring training this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I'll be heading down Sunday. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. So uh, you got to be looking forward to that after this winter. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's yeah, uh, get some sunshine at the very least. It's, it's going to be different this year and weird, and I think I'll miss kind of the the freedom and the access of a normal spring training, but at the same time, um, can't complain too much about uh, a little bit of time in Florida right now. Yeah, especially after, uh, I mean, this winter has just felt like the, the most interminable stretch of time in my entire life, I swear. You know, it's just been one, <laughs> one disaster from politics uh, to real. the weather. Uh, I got to ask first, like, how are your peeps down in Texas? Everybody doing okay? Yeah, for the most part, uh, pretty much everyone I know is just fine. I think I think a lot of my family out in West Texas, they're on a little bit of a different power setup and either didn't lose power at all or were just on some some rolling power outages. I uh, had a couple of friends down in Dallas who I think uh, went, went a stretch there without power, but it seems like everything's okay. My my brother's down at Texas A&M and, and he's doing just fine, so... Yeah, Luckily, no one I know was uh, too adversely affected, but definitely scary stuff down there. And um, you know, thoughts thoughts go out to everyone in Texas for sure. Yeah, yeah, but it feels like the you know it, it takes time sometimes for things to you know the, the government and whoever else to start reacting to something like this. But now that all the eyes uh, are yeah. on it, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there's help on the way down there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I guess first things first. Um, yeah, you know, we, uh, we, we just can't get a moment's peace on a Friday night when, uh, when Trader Al's in the bargain bins. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so the Tigers, uh, Tigers sign Julio Tehran, um, former Braves starter, um, uh, kind of a, kind of a shifty little soft tosser, um, who is, you know, kind of known to just work around the edges has been an effective starter, um, at times, um, struggled last year with the angels, but I think he, I think he had COVID, um, you had to deal with, you know, the, the first new team of his career and then COVID protocols. I'm not really going to take too much, much out of that. So we'll see. And then they also picked up Willie Peralta, um, who again, hasn't really been effective for, you know, four or five years. Um, you know, was kind of a fifth starter for the, for the Brewers for a while. And it seems like, I mean, you think Peralta in particular is more of a, like a relief signing because he's still at least kind of got a big fastball. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, the Peralta signing, to be honest, doesn't doesn't move the needle for much, you know, much for me at all. I think probably a relief signing that, you know, is he actually going to make the roster? We'll see. He does have some decent stuff, um, but I, I don't have my uh, expectations set too high. <laughs> uh, Tehran is, is, I don't know, in a way he's very interesting because this is a guy who's a, a two-time All-Star who has... Um, a really good track record. His deal includes up to four million in, in incentives. Basically, if he makes the club and makes up to twenty starts, they're going to pay him four million, which is uh, about the range I thought the Tigers would go for for a starter. So, you know, from what I'm told, they were they were never really close on Rick Porcello. That one just kind of got leaked. Uh, I think to make it look like they tried, but but they were very far apart with Porcello. They went up to four uh, with incentives with Tyron, but but yeah, his stuff. I mean. He was never really a, a hard-throwing guy, but his fastball sinker was down to 88-89 last year. I think the spin rates on his breaking balls were down quite a bit, too. So he's really not the same pitcher he was back in, in like 2014. Um, but supposedly some reports from his bullpen this offseason that he threw in front of scouts were pretty encouraging. Um, 
again, you know, you see the incentives, you see the Tigers would really like this guy to be on the roster and eat up some innings, but I also don't think it's a lock that he even makes the roster. I think he'll really have to go out and earn it for as much as the Tigers need pitching depth. Um, they do have some other options in-house, so so I don't think either of these guys are, are guaranteed a spot. Yeah, I mean, Peralta probably, you know, less less chance of the two, but but even, yeah, Tehran, it's sort of like, I mean, I assume this is one of those deals where if the Tigers don't call him up and, and bring him north pretty quickly, you know, he, he's he's a free agent again. Um, we don't, I don't think we know that yet, but yeah, it's probably. Yeah, we don't. I'd be, I'd be interested to know, especially coming off a season where he, where he had a 10 ERA, like if he'd be content to guess, just get stashed in Toledo for a while and they can bring him up when, you know, when you have a couple injuries, that, that wouldn't be the worst, but usually these deals are structured where, where the guy can opt out, be a free agent and try to catch one with another team. So, um, yeah, we'll have to find out how that how that shakes out yeah and you'd think you know sometimes with a veteran like that you'd actually like relish the chance to like go to the minors and actually work on some stuff but no no one ever does no one wants to pitch in the minors after they after they've been in the show (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh not the same lifestyle at all yeah yeah just a quick look through like um teron's stat cast numbers like i did notice that like his um like the four seam and and sinker spin are basically the same but the actual movement diverges a lot like um spencer turnbull's does so you know, he, he's probably got some seam-shifted wake movement going on with those two pitches. Um, his his slider, I think, is like a, was 20% active spin last year. So basically like a pure gyro ball, which is another type of pitch that, um, you know, it, it kind of just leans right into, you know, what, I don't know about Fetter's specialty necessarily, but he's definitely one of those guys who is um, who is on the cutting edge with that sort of stuff. So he may be able to Maybe able to play around there, but um, but overall, what this really—I mean, I I think you'd probably agree. What this really says is that the the pitching depth in the Tigers minor league system, once you get past Manning, Mize, and Scooble, is uh, is pretty bleak with um, Fido and Wentz on the shelf, <laughs> and uh, and they need they need some arms down there just in case for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I know that came up on on Twitter today, and it's it's one of those things you don't always think about, and then when you see it, kind of get spelled out. Like, what's your rotation in Erie this year? Or even Toledo, you know, you're not going to have a ton of depth. It's it's pretty concerning, and suddenly all those um, all those criticisms about the lack of depth in the Tigers' farm system pop right back up. Um, because yeah, I, I, even though I think you have you know six, seven, eight guys who can pitch in the majors this year, you'd like to have probably nine, ten, eleven guys who can pitch in the majors this year, and it's it's kind of questionable as to whether you actually have that or not. Yeah, I mean, we're going into camp and we don't really have, I mean, we really have no idea whether or not Michael Fulmer can be a starter yeah. again. And based on the way Matt Boyd has pitched basically for, you know, the last year of, of active duty, you don't really know if he's um, if he's going to be viable as a starter or not. Like, we'd, we'd all like to believe in him because we've seen it work, you know, at times. Um, you know, at least the first couple of years, he was at least, you know, a solid back-end starter and um, occasionally showed those flashes of more, so... We'll, yeah, we'll see along those lines, but this also kind of sets them up to where it feels like they don't have to, um, they don't have to necessarily use Matt Manning or Mize or Scooble unless they want to, which is, um, which is probably where you want to be. You, you want to be able to deploy them as you see, you know, fit as, you know, is best for their development rather than, oh God, we're, you know, we're in trouble already. We got to call all these guys up. Um, you know, presumably one of them, you know, is, is likely to earn, earn a spot out of spring camp, but, um, 
but yeah, you don't want to be forced to make those decisions. You'd, you'd rather be able to make them, you know, based on the player and, and development. So yeah, this might all help in, in, the, in those regards, I suppose. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see how they handle Mize and Scooble. I'm kind of of the school of thought that you brought those guys up last year for a reason. Like, let them be big leaguers now. Put them in your rotation unless they just flat out can't handle it. I think both of them struggled last year, but definitely showed they're capable of pitching at the major league level and in theory should only be better this time around. But then you look like, you know, a lot of times teams, if they have a guy on a minors deal, they're going to at least want to give him a shot. Does that mean you start Casey Mize in AAA and give, you know, Julio Tehran, you know, five starts and see how he does? And if it, if it goes bad, then you pull the plug and call up Mize. And if not, you know, you, you let those guys simmer in AAA a little longer. Um, I don't know. I think the former question is really good, too. That hasn't been talked about a lot. It's, uh, going to be sensitive to even ask about considering the guy's been known as a starter but um i don't think his role is quite guaranteed um at all i think boyd's maybe a little more just because they're paying him 6.5 million um but former's gonna have to show some things this spring to to be in the rotation i think yeah i mean we don't want to pin too much on you know two months of of coming back from tommy john and knee surgery meniscus surgery both but yeah, that knee surgery really is kind of the kicker. I mean, I think if he just had Tommy John, most of us would kind of expect that, you know, the velocity will probably be mostly back this year. Um, but, yeah, having to change his mechanics really throws a wrinkle on that. So we'll just kind of have to see. And I guess um, that kind of leads me to A.J. Hinch. Um, and maybe maybe the first thing I wanted to, you know, kind of ask about him. He's obviously, you know, he's talked a good bit about, you know, the roster during the offseason and since he's been hired, but now he's, he's you know, clearly, like, switched into full-on, like, manager mode, you know, and, and wants his guys competing, doesn't want guys, you know, thinking about, like, saving bullets for, for a rainy day or, you know, or taking it easy or anything. He's he's really trying to amp up the, um, you know, the competitive atmosphere in, in camp. Um, what, are, what are your kind of your first impressions of uh, A.J. Hinch running his first major league or his first camp with the Tigers? Yeah, to be honest, it's been pretty impressive so far. I think it's, I don't know, I, I had a lot of respect for Ron Gardenhire and the way he handled stuff in a difficult situation, but just a few days um, under the A.J. Hinch regime have kind of highlighted uh, maybe what the Tigers were lacking in their coaching staff. Hinch and his coaches showed up to spring training, you know, able to write a research paper on every one of these players. They know their names, they know their faces, they know... Um, their numbers, their advanced data, their, their backstories. They came very prepared. Hinch watched every game from last season. Uh, Garden Hire, you know, and his staff, like, I think they worked hard. I, I think they prepared well, but they weren't as well-versed in the analytics. And I think they showed up to spring. They didn't necessarily know who everyone was, or they used spring as a time to feel some things out. Uh, whereas, whereas Hinch has basically said, you know, you don't have time for that. You have to show up and, and be able to be in a pretty competitive mode right away. Alavila this week talked about he was he was blown away by how far ahead the Tigers seem this year. Um, I, I would assume compared to the past, and that's because of AJ, AJ Hinch. That's because of the guys they hired. They are just putting in a different level of work and i think as a result there's going to be a little bit different level of of competition right out of the gate 
Yeah, and you know, Ron Garden Hire and his staff were, were you know, the, the word feel kind of describes sort of their yeah. their style. And obviously, they were also you know, veterans of the game, aware that they were sort of playing out the string, you know, just sort of babysitting the franchise for a couple of years until they, they started um, hopefully building things up again. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like Chris Fetter has had like really detailed conversations and really detailed plans for what he wants to, you know, wants these guys to work on already in place and probably the same true for most of the position players. So they're coming in with like work in mind rather than more of a let's get to know each other and, you know, throw the old ball around and kind of work our way into this slowly. It feels much more of a, of an intense, um, you know, focused sort of, sort of camp in the early going so far. Yeah, absolutely. Those, yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. Some of those early conversations, that feeling out period is, it was, that was done in the off season and now, now it's about work. And, And I'm pretty mystified by these, uh, you know, mythical emails that Chris Fetter has sent some of the pitchers with, detailed info on um, their numbers, how their stuff plays in the zone, where it best plays, what their pitching plan looks like going forward. I don't know exactly what these things look like. I wish someone would uh, forward me one on background just to just just so I could know because it sounds really interesting um, the way this guy is researched and then compiled that research and sent it to the player in a form that you know these guys can um, – kind of synthesize it and start working on things in, in the off season. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's fair to say Rick Anderson probably was not doing that. Yeah. I mean, Rick Anderson was seemed much more of a, you know, like his specialty was, was almost more like bullpen kind of coach type stuff. Like, yeah. you know, having a little tweak, if you're, you know, your command is off, he can kind of, you know, give you some things to, to help you get your rhythm back. But to, yeah, again, just more of that, you know, sort of more of that old school mentality where, you don't mess with the players too much unless the player wants to be messed with. Whereas, yeah, like, you know, more modern coaches are definitely much more aggressive and like, look, I see this, you know, um, I know that if you work on, on this, you know, it's going to improve your game and we're going to focus on that. And just, just sort of having that, um, that sort of structure for what they want to work on um, in place right from the jump. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, I, I think probably we would both agree that the, the most interesting additions as it turns out this off season were AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter and the, the coaching staff. So, um, you know, you don't want to really want the coaches and the, the manager to be the star of the <laughs> star of the show, but, um, but there, there's a lot of expectations on them and, you know, I'm a big fan of the the Chris Fetter hire, fan of the Hinch hire. Love the love the new coaching staff, but you know, I've been trying to rein it back in because I yeah, I don't really want to sell anybody a, yeah. a, a bill of goods that Chris Fetter is going to go in there and just magically turn everyone into aces and all that sort of thing. But um, but watching those guys is going to be kind of kind of the you know the the key attraction until uh, Mize Manning and Scoobal are all in place. I would assume. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I'm as well trying to kind of rein in the the hype because the Tigers still have a roster that needs a lot of building. I think Chris Fetter can improve a lot of these pitchers, but that doesn't mean, you know, Matt Boyd's going to win the Cy Young or, or anything like that this year. Um, there are going to be times this team struggles. There are going to be times some of these pitchers still struggle. Um, it takes time to, you know, it, as much as Hinch and his staff want to, improve the Tigers right out of the gate. And as much as I think there's a chance that that happens to a limited extent, I think it's going to take some time for these guys to instill their culture. I think part of Chris Fetter's plan is building a stronger pitching infrastructure up and down the organization. Yeah. I think there are guys who reach the majors in three years who might be better just because of the impact Chris Fetter will have 
on this entire organization. I think he'll impact how things are done in double A in West Michigan. Um, and hopefully that kind of funnels up to the major league level. Uh, you, you look at a guy like a Joe Jimenez or Matt Boyd or some of these other guys with talent, with stuff, and it's pretty easy to see how maybe Chris Fetter could help them out quite a bit. But um, you, you're right. The hype's almost the hype machine has, has gotten out of hand a little bit in part because maybe there's just not that much else to talk about. Uh, you know, they, they can't be totally anointed as saviors, but these, these guys are really smart at the same time. So, you know, when I say that, I'm not just blowing, blowing smoke. It's a pretty palpable difference with them in charge. Yeah, and it's, I mean, obviously, you know, Chris Fetter, I mean, he's a Michigan man. He, you know, he was a part of sort of reinventing the, the University of Michigan baseball program. Um, so he's, he's going to get some some love and, you know, and, and some early support kind of through that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about these things, you know, quite a bit as far as, um, and we don't necessarily have to go into Keith Law's uh, perception necessarily of the, the Tigers farm system, um, but he was he was notable for, you know, really kind of dinging the Tigers for, you know, sort of the mid-tier depth that they, that they lack after the, you know, top seven, eight guys. And, you know, that part of it, you can argue with where he ranked, you know, the Tigers farm system, but, um, but, you know, he's got a, he's got a point there. And I think we're all hoping that not only, you know, Chris Fetter and, you know, maybe Scott Coolbaugh and, and some of these guys have an effect, even in terms of player development in the minors, but we also haven't seen, you know, Kenny Graham, the new player, you know, development director. We haven't seen Dan Hubbs, um, who's kind of the pitch design specialist. Um, George Giblin doing the sports science department, like all the, those three were pretty, you know, seemingly important hires last fall. And we never really got to see any of their work because the minor league season was canceled. And it's really hard to, to get, you know, get much of a feel for how much, you know, time they had to, to even talk to players via zoom and, and get them working on specific things. So, yeah, I mean, we're hoping the, the impact here is, is organization wide. And, you know, that's, that's a lot to, that's a lot to ask. <laughs> that's a lot of, a lot of demand from, uh, for, you know, yeah. a, a new manager and a brand new pitching coach who's never been the pitching coach at the major league level. Yeah, that's, that is well said for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we, we heard about the Tigers way an awful lot from, uh, you know, from Brad Offens to Ron Gardenhire, but this feels like where, yeah, you know, like the manager and the, the major league coaching staff probably will have more say, you, you would assume, in player personnel decisions and, in, and maybe in some of the, you know, the development work that goes on. So, so we'll see. But yeah, we don't want to don't want to get too uh, too hype about it. Um, I guess, you know, my impressions now that the offseason is probably essentially over other than, you know, maybe another small pickup somewhere is that if the Tigers had done the thing I wanted and, and got one you know, really good player, like one player that they would consider like a piece of the future. I'd really actually like what they've done because it does seem like they've played for a little bit more upside. Um, You know, guys like Nomar Mazzara and Renato Nunez are a little bit more, you know, they've got like a tool that if the Tigers could help them, they could really stand out as opposed to, you know, signing Cameron Mabin and, you know, CJ Crone obviously had, had some impact, but you know, Tyson Ross, Yvonne Nova, like those type of guys were just there to sort of fill a role. And it does feel like they've, you know, they've at least shot for guys who, who might work out, you know, who are younger and, and at least have power if you can, um, if you can help them to make contact a little bit more. Um, do you feel kind of a, at least, you know, low key, kind of a, a bit of a, a change in, in attitude toward what they, they did in free agency this year? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'd be interested to know even right there, like how much of that is coming from, AJ Hinch and his staff and what they think. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it seems like the 
school of thought has shifted a little bit to, yeah, they were looking at these, these upside guys. Um, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, a, a lot of people ask, how would you grade the Tigers off season? And I, I don't know, like, I, you know, I'm tempted to probably go like B minus or something like that. Like, I don't, I like all of these signings. I think they're, they're smart. You can see the upside, you can see the rationale, I'm with you on, I wish they would have been a little more aggressive, put, uh, you know, a little bit more someone who could be considered a piece like a, like a Jack Peterson or someone like that. But um, I'm really interested to see how Robbie Grossman plays this year. I mean, I think there's a world in which Robbie Grossman is a, is a, um, you know, pretty valuable little outfielder and, you know, in terms of war could, could post numbers that's, one par with a Jack Peterson or a Kyle Schwarber. I don't think he'll hit for the power, but um, you know, I don't, I don't think they took a huge step forward. I don't know that the roster is a lot better than it was last year. Some of these guys, the Mazaras, the Nunezes, you know, uh, I, I think you're lucky if you can get one of those guys to really pan out and it, it, they, they all won't. Um, but you can at least see, you know, some effort. You can see, thinking and i think that bodes well for the organization yeah i mean they kind of had the the kind of off season i i sort of wish they had had like in 2018 2019 yeah like if they had done more of this kind of thing then um i like robbie grossman you know he's a guy who you know had, had always been sort of a solid player that people thought might break out and he never really did but then you know with the athletics he kind of did you know he made some changes to his swing um started pulling more balls in the air hit for more power um, obviously worked on his defense and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he wouldn't surprise me if he, you know, put up a three, maybe even a four war season, if everything just came together for him. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's, you know, that's not a bad move at all. Um, and yeah, you know, Mazzara and, and Nunez, if you can, you know, Im- improve either one of them at the plate, there's, there's some potential there, but I think, yeah, I mean, it feels like it's a, a like a deeper roster, if only because, Casey Mize and, and Tarek Skubal are probably more ready to to contribute this year um, after getting their feet wet, and they've still you know they've still got Manning in the tank. Um, you've still got Isaac Paredes, um, who probably will start at, at Toledo, but you know th- that's a better quality of guy to bring up if someone else is struggling than than they've had in years past, and and those guys have a little bit more experience now. Um, I mean. I don't really want to want to like pick a number. I I'm I'm the type who hates like you know projecting the win total or anything like that. But yeah. I mean, do you think there's a chance the Tigers could you know could put together like a, a seventy seventy five win team here? Um, I think I think their best case scenario is probably about seventy wins. You know, and if that's a a seventy win season where they're around five hundred for most of the first half, that could be a pretty fun, pretty entertaining team to watch. I. I don't think they'll sustain that level of play a whole year, but yeah, I think there's a world where if Grossman produces, if Mazar produces, if Mize and Scooble look like legit big leaguers, yeah, they could win 70 games. I, I think, you know, um, I don't think this is going to be the train wreck that the 2019 Tigers were. I think they are they, actually, if you really look at it, the roster is much improved from, the, from there. We're done with the Dawell Lugos and the, you know, Gosh, just whoever else cycled in and out that year. Yeah, a lot, a lot uh, of them were forgettable. You can true. see the roster. Yeah, yes, yes. You can see how this roster has matured, is slowly setting itself up for the future. You know, p- people will ask the Tigers, um, 
play 500 baseball? Could they make some kind of crazy surprise run? And the talent is still not there for that. But I, I think 70 games would be an optimistic target for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if the Tigers are hanging around 500 come late July, probably what that means is that, that they've actually got a few trade chips to offer this year, which which would be great. I like that, that too. Yeah. That would be terrific. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that would be the nice thing. And I, and I guess to kind of go back to the rotation, that also kind of speaks to Daniel Norris because – you know, there's a there's a, a school of thought out there that Daniel Norris maybe deserves another shot at being a starting pitcher, but because you know this is the last year before he hits free agency, it it seems like it would behoove the Tigers to just sort of leave him be, you know, let him work two innings at a time, maybe three in the bullpen, a spot start here or there, but basically try to groom him to be traded. You would assume. Yeah, I think you know. I... Look, I know pulling off trades is a lot easier said than done. It's it's not easy to do, but I wonder if they should have traded him last year or or this offseason when he was coming off looking really strong in these three inning stints. I think um, you know, I think it'll be tough to get his value much higher than that than that unless he I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a world in which he's in this rotation and he's pitching well and you, and you get a decent little prospect for him. Um It'll, it'll just be tough to get a lot of value for like a swing man for half a season, you know? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I think it's not impossible that he could, he could end up being almost as valuable as maybe Justin Wilson was in, in 2017. Mm-hmm. If, if he can kind of, oh. if he can kind of continue on with what know. he, with what he <laughs> did last year, there just aren't that many, you know, fairly hard throwing, you know, lefty relievers with, with good stuff. You know, they're just, they're just, they don't come a dime a dozen. And so that's true. The lefty helps out. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, we need to see like a little bit more of the old velocity come back. Like if he, if he's, you know, pumping 94, 95 this year, pitching as aggressively as he did last year and having similar success, you know, I, I could see them getting something from him. Um, I'd almost rather that they just, you know, see if they could talk him into an extension. But I tend to assume Daniel at some point would like to live near the sea during the, the baseball season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. If you think about it, Detroit's uh, probably not ideal for him geographically. And um, maybe there is another team out there where you could, you know, get a, get a real shake at the rotation. Um, we'll see how it goes. I, I definitely like Daniel a lot. He's one of those guys you hope to see have success and, uh, and, and I do. I think there's a lot left in that arm. We've seen flashes of it at times. And so, again, you know, how does that play um, under Chris Fetter, under A.J. Hinch? Maybe it works out. Yep. Yeah, you know, I think um, watching them manage the bullpen this, this season should be should be fascinating because there isn't really, you know, anyone with a set role. Um, you know, you could look at Jose Cisnero or Brian Garcia or Joe Jimenez, if he can get it together, those guys could all, you know, be in the mix for, for the closer role, maybe Gregory Soto, because, you know, the stuff is just bananas when he's on. Um, but they have also just sort of a lot of, yeah, you know, kind of guys that you're just not really sure how, how they're going to be deployed. You know, Buck Farmer is going to be a free agent. They picked up Erasmo Ramirez um, on a minor league deal. Derek Holland, you would assume is another one of those guys like Tehran that they they'd kind of like to keep around and like get a good long look at and work with a bit, but um, as a reliever. But um, yeah, it's it's just sort of hard to see how all the pieces are going to fit here because they they have kind of added a lot of a lot of you know interesting you know veteran at least players on on minor league contracts and um, watching them piece it all together this spring should be fairly entertaining. I think. Yeah, you're right. I think that's like. 
it's nice that they have some entertaining pieces, some guys who are going to be fun to follow. It's not great that pretty much your entire pitching staff is that way, or <laughs> yeah. your entire bullpen for sure. Um, none of these guys are set. You know, maybe a couple of them could really have a breakout year. Maybe a couple of them tank. Um, maybe they all tank. You know, it's 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 hard to know. I wish there were a little more stability. Um, especially, especially in that bullpen, but you have some talent with those arms. I think, again, I think, I think Hinch and the staff probably going to be able to maximize that talent maybe a little more than the garden hire regime was able to. And I think Hinch is a guy who's known for being somewhat creative with his bullpen. Um, he said this week that he plans to name a closer, but you know, if he needs to deploy the closer in the seventh inning, because that's going to be the biggest spot he's, he's open to doing that. So I, I just think um, Hinge is going to make some in-game decisions that will be um, that will just be kind of fun to watch and, and see how they play out. I think um, he's he's more open to thinking outside the box, and that might mean some creativity out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know what we really like about AJ Hinch is just that sense that you know he has you know such a thorough grasp of the analytical side and sort of like the you know the old school baseball side both that he can that he can apply you know feet he should at least be able to apply some feel successfully and seems willing to do that you know he's not going to play it you know strictly by the book but he knows the book really well in a in a very advanced manner yeah. and and that should inform yeah the decision making as we go along it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um... I mean, how how are you feeling so far about like his interactions with the media? Um, I mean, is he um, has he has he been fairly open? I mean, we we had to notice that um, you know they kind of restricted you know access. It seems like for, to the coaching staff, like they're they're just not really going to have the coaching staff available for comment too much. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting as well. And I didn't know if that was kind of an AJ Hinch thing or if that was more of a Tigers thing. Do you think or? Um, yeah, it's definitely a Hinch thing. It's it's kind of interesting. Hinch had that policy in Houston. I remember hearing people complain about it, like like when they came to Detroit, like you couldn't talk to Donnie Kelly, you know, when he was on their staff. Um, people wanted to talk to Cora when he was the bench coach, and they were pretty much off limits to the media. I had always assumed that that was a Jeff Lunau thing because the Houston front office was known for being very proprietary, trying to keep kind of everything in house. Um, Astros media relations staff doesn't have the best reputation. Turns out that was actually more of a hinge thing because we, you know, uh, someone asked him about it today, just like, Hey, are we going to be able to talk to assistants? Um, because we hadn't talked to any yet this spring via zoom. And he basically said no. <laughs> and then he kind of backtracked it to like, well, maybe. So I think we're still awaiting some clarity. Uh, I think it'll probably be a case by case basis if there's like a legitimate reason to, talk to an assistant coach or maybe for a feature story or something, maybe that will happen, but it doesn't sound like we're going to be getting, you know, a, a ton of time with Chris Fetter to pick his brain about Matt Boyd's slider or, you know, kind of the, the nuts and bolts like that. Hinch basically said that's because he wants, you know, it, it goes, it goes back to messaging with which certain coaches can be um, 
kind of paranoid about. He wants one message going to the players. There, there definitely can be times in the media where the manager says one thing about the player and then you go talk to the hitting coach and he says something different. And when the player reads that or, or sees it on Twitter or whatever, that can uh, be a little confusing. Um, you know, sometimes coaches can speak out of line and be a, a little more blunt than the manager ever would. Um, yeah. You know, So it sounds like that's kind of where Hinch is coming from. Obviously, as a reporter, I don't like that. If I had to guess, I'm not sure the Tigers, you know, in terms of their um, media relations staff and, and the organization as a whole really like it because they're trying to tout up this coaching staff and get them a lot of publicity. It's, it's one of the things that the Tigers are trying to sell. Um, hey, look, we have really smart coaches now. That said, uh, Hinch is actually, you know, uh, one of the most media savvy managers in the game. Um, it'll be a little easier to to go without talking to assistants because Hinch, um, again, <laughs> I hate to pile on Gardenhire, but if you asked Ron Gardenhire a question about a pitcher, the answer was going to go something like, well, the ball comes out of his hand good, but he misfires sometimes. And you could pretty much copy and paste that for the entire uh, uh, pitching staff. Hinge is able to speak in detail about these guys a little more. He gives very thoughtful, very substantive answers. He usually knows what you're trying to get at when you ask a question. Um, he has a reputation for being extremely good with the media. So far, he's been extremely good with the media here in Detroit. Um, a little bit curious to see, you know, will the Astros scandal make him less open or more guarded? So far, it really hasn't. So far, he's been pretty open. Um, I have a, uh, a a big story with AJ coming out early next week, hopefully. Um, it seems like he's been pretty open. It seems like, you know, if you want to read into it too much, maybe he knows he needs the media on his side a little bit. But I think also, I mean, I think he's a, he's a pretty low-key guy who's not, uh, you know, who's able to still act like a human and just have human conversations with people. And I think that's one of the reasons he's uh, he's liked by players. And that translates over to the media, but then every now and then when things like the the assistant coaches pop up, you, you're kind of remember reminded that, like, oh, this is a very competitive industry and, and um, um, any competitive person will always be somewhat, you know, try to keep the media at, at arm's length. And if I were the manager of an MLB club, I'd probably be the same way. Yeah, it is interesting. I, you know, I didn't really realize that, that that had been sort of the policy with the Astros. And, and yeah, kind of what I was getting at was, you know, is this sort of a reaction to kind of just some of the chaotic, you know, over-controlling nature that, that the Astros, you know, kind of seem to have with the media in general? Um, and maybe a reaction to, you know, sort of the whatever factionalism was going on over there, you know, wanting to really present, you know, a, a unified message and a unified front and be the be the one guy that, you know kind of speaks on behalf of the team. Um, it definitely helps when you, when you're AJ Hinch and you're capable of doing that, you know, with candor and humor and, you know, and, and enough insight to, you know, to, to sort of help the writers, you know, get what they need um, without having to necessarily get quotes from, from the whole staff and all that. But yeah, you know, I, that was kind of when I, when I heard that, like, you know, you hate to speculate and, and we wouldn't write about this sort of thing, but you just get in, in your head, like all the, you know, the Mickey Calloway scandal, um, you know, some of the things yeah. that have gone on in baseball the last couple of years, you know, you could, you could see a desire, you know, from teams to sort of, you know, choke the process down to a narrow pipeline to where they, you know, they know where the reporters are, they know who's t being allowed to talk to them and, and vice versa and sort of, you know, keeping a little bit tighter grip on that, which, you know, 
it doesn't necessarily impact the fans' enjoyment of the game, but it but it can affect like your impact. You know, serious fans. You know, getting getting answers to the questions that they have sometimes. So I guess we'll just have to sort of see how it goes. It's early. Um, you know, maybe this is his policy to sort of, you know, keep things at arm's length for the time being, and then and see how things go later on. I mean, the fact that you all have to talk over Zoom is already you know kind of a distancing mechanism as well. <laughs> so they've got that going for them. Oh too. yeah, absolutely. It's 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 not even the same. And uh, you know, bringing an assistant coach into Zoom is also more complicated and everything. So. Um, it's different. Unfortunately, it reminds me of, you know, I covered college football for several years there and and that's the way a lot of big time college football programs are. And they're known for being super paranoid about, about information and controlling the narrative. And I think even in college, it's like, sometimes you don't want your offensive coordinator in the media too much because that might mean he's going to go get a head coaching job somewhere, you know? Right. I don't think that's the, the case so much on a major league coaching staff. But, um, you know, I've been around that before. It does affect the, like, I don't know, especially under garden hire. If you wanted to know some nuts and bolts about a pitcher, it'd be better to go to Rick Anderson. And he didn't talk a ton because he was a pretty busy guy. But when he did, he was really informative. And, and I would usually learn something. Um, I think it will be a little better under Hinch just because he tends to give so much detail in the first place that again, like maybe you don't really need to go to that assistant coach as much. Um, I, I would say probably not something, you know, 99% of fans will really notice at all, but as, as writers, you know, it'll at least give us something to complain about over the course of the year. It'll be a great thing to complain like in a bad mood in September, you know, and it's late in the year and it's like, <laughs> why can't I talk to Scott Coolbaugh? <laughs> I know. But, the season's uh, almost over. Overall, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yep there it is um all right let's let's um let's just kind of hit on a couple couple points before we wrap it um I, I looked through a little bit of the um the chat that you did on the athletic today um you know fans can can write in and ask cody questions i don't know do you do this like every week or every two weeks or something like that um i think it's trying to go for once a month yeah that sounds more reasonable to be honest i was like ah, i wouldn't want to do that every week <laughs> People just firing questions at you. Um, I, I enjoy it, but yeah, it's I. I don't know. I don't know if my bosses are going to listen to this or not. I'd be willing to do it more often, to be honest. I think I think it's kind of fun just to interact with people. Sometimes I get story ideas. Um, oh yeah, just from doing it. it's nice to kind of see what people are thinking about, what they want to know. So yeah, that's true. I use our comment sections for the same way, and actually, I guess writing it is is better. What what. Um, my experience of doing radio is sometimes, you know, just informs my opinion about that. Cause sometimes you just, you know, you, you get on a show with the host that you don't know real well and you just start getting this rapid fire quiz, you know, with questions coming out of left field <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like, whoa, slow it down. But yeah, if you yeah. can write out the answers, that probably does help. <laughs> but I noticed one person asked you um, about Willie Castro and kind of like what, you know, what would happen, have to happen this year for Willie Castro to hold the shortstop job, you know, long-term and whether or not, you know, he even has a chance of doing that, considering that we're all hoping they, they pick up a free agent next year. Um, so, yeah, what would you kind of, you know, pin as um, like a good a good goal, a good target for Willie Castro's season this year? Yeah, I, I tend to try to take like a more measured approach rather than be like a, a hot takes guy in, in just terms of how I analyze the team. But uh, I think one of my hotter takes is it doesn't know what it doesn't matter what Willie Castro does. The Tigers need to sign a, a stud shortstop next offseason if they want to win the World Series one of these days. 
And if Willie Castro has a really good year, if he's somehow able to sustain his his crazy, you know, Babbitt um, and hits over 300 and plays capable defense, I think that that's great. I think that means you have a, a future second baseman, which you, which you're also really lacking. I, uh, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. I I don't see any. You know, look, even if Willie Castro, I think best case he's a zero defensive run save shortstop. I don't think he's ever going to be a plus defender at short. He was the worst in the league, although in a smaller sample last year, just the eye test. I I don't like his footwork. I think that can only improve so much. He struggled with his throwing arm a little bit. Um, maybe he can play well enough to stick there, get you through this year. The Tigers think he can still think he can still improve, but yeah, I, I don't think it. I think it doesn't matter. I think you don't need to go get Trevor Story or Carlos Correa or Javi Baez or Lindor or Corey Seager because I think next next year's class presents a pretty rare opportunity to go get a very valuable player at a premium position, and there's enough of them in the market that if you miss on the top guy, if you get outbid by the uh, the Yankees or whoever. Um, you can still get another guy, you know. I think, I think, um, I, I think the Tigers have to set that as priority number one. And if Willie Castro is playing well, that's that's just a bonus. You can always find somewhere else for him. Most likely second base. Yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mean, do you do you feel like that's that's really likely though that the Tigers are actually like thinking about next year as a as a starting point to actually start making some you know more. Sub- substantive moves rather than kind of you know just picking picking small guys up here and there yeah that's that's the sense i get um you know maybe that's just wishful thinking but i think it makes a lot of sense for for as much as you know people love to criticize chris illich and alavila they have always kind of said we're going to spend when the time is right you know what's the definition of the time being right that's that's in the eye of the beholder um but, you know, if you show some progress this year, if you have my Scooble and Manning pretty much all in the majors, Green and Torkelson knocking on the door, you know, that core is, is pretty much there. I think that means it's time to start winning. And especially, like, I think the makeup of the class could affect it, too. If Francisco Lindor were the only shortstop in free agency next year, you know, maybe the Tigers wouldn't be as aggressive. But I think it's, it's you know, you don't, We'll see what happens with Lee Castro, but most likely you don't have a surefire shortstop in this rebuild. You don't really have one in the system. I think it makes too much sense to to go get one while you can, and um, and yeah, make that first big signing and and get this thing rolling a little bit. It'd be cool if you could pick up a, a Justin Verlander too, or maybe even another outfield bat. That might be getting a little too optimistic. I don't know if they'll have this huge haul, but. Um, I, I, I get the sense that the Tigers front office is thinking the same way, especially when it comes to that shortstop position. I think there's a, a strong chance that they'll they'll try to be players for one of those guys. Yeah. And I you know, and and it's you know, it's harder for us perhaps, especially for you, but yeah, I mean for fans, I mean, there's every reason to expect that the Tigers should start spending money and to and to be willing to demand that a little bit next year. Um, you know, that they've actually cut the payroll from last year and haven't necessarily reinvested all of even Jordan Zimmerman's money this year. So it does feel like at a certain point it's time to go. And 
I don't really like to talk about, you know, rebuilds as like a some kind of set process or like a normal part of the game because I don't don't really feel like that, that you know, that kind of a rebuild like the full teardown like that that kind of thing should be necessarily a regular occurrence. But if you look at it that way, you know, the the time to start, you know, start pushing in and going for it is when yeah, you start getting your top prospects um, you know, to the major leagues. I mean, when, you know, Ronald Acuña Jr got to the Braves and, and, you know, had a half season to prove what he could do, you know, they started adding players in there. And so, yeah, I mean, if the three pitchers make it up this year and, and look like they're ready to contribute, you would think, yeah, that it, that it would have to be go time. Um, you know, the thing I wrote about with with Trevor Story in particular was just that, you know, it, the, the problem I think next offseason is just that there's also going to be a lot of competition. You're going to have you know, the Texas Rangers just traded away Elvis Andrus and, you know, they're, they're in a rebuilding mode. They need a shortstop. Um, Trevor Story is a Texan. I, I happen to notice. And, uh, you know, the, the Angels are going to be free of um, Albert Pujols money. Um, they've got Jose Iglesias this year, but they don't have a long-term solution. And then there's all those teams, the Cubs, the Mets, um, yeah, the Astros, the Dodgers, all of them are either going to extend the shortstop they have or be in the market as well. So, yeah, you know, I, we can't, we certainly can't guarantee it because there may be some fearsome competition out there, but you would hope that that would be, that would kind of be the goal. Um, and I, I think, you know, apart from Willie Castro, like you look at him and, and Jamer Candelario and, and maybe those two guys are sort of like the best bellwether for what the offense is going to be this year, because if they can both not necessarily sustain like the absolute peak that they had, you know, briefly in 2020, but if both of them are above average hitters, like, you know, 105 to 115 WRC plus performers this year, you know, you start to feel like, okay, there, there's, you know, there's some solid pieces around. And if you can add in, you know, one or two more and get green and Torkelson there, you know, Tigers are going to pick high in the draft this year. Um, I think we both expect that. Yeah. You know, 70 wins is probably like, maybe even a little bit high for an over over under mark this year. So the odds are good. They're going to pick, you know, sixth or seventh in 2022 as well. And hopefully that turbo charge charges the farm system to keep, um, to keep the pipeline rolling as all these guys get into the majors. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, at some point, they've yeah, got to start, you're right. there's, they've got to start there, doing There's a lot things. to be decided. Um, they're going to have to somehow convince a, a star player to want to come to Detroit. Um, that's why I'm, I'm almost, I'm going to go out on a limb right here and I'm going to predict that Carlos Correa is the guy because of his ties with AJ Hinch. I don't know this full story, but his ties with Hinch go back before the Astros, AJ Hinch, when he was the, um, VP of pro, he wasn't even an amateur scout, but he's the VP of pro scouting. But for some reason he was one of the first guys to go see Carlos Correa, um, internationally. Um, one of the first guys I think to really be in contact with him when, when Hinch was working in the Padres organization. So they go back a long time. That could be the type of thing that could, that could sway one of these guys to come to the Tigers. Yep. And you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, Pudge Rodriguez keeps getting brought up as sort of like the example of that, but there is sort of that, that thing where you have to get the first guy or two, um, on board in order to convince, you know, other free agents to, to come on a reasonable deal and, and, and help you out. And, and finding that first couple pieces can be, can be tricky. And yeah, I mean, the relationship with Correa makes sense. The relationship with Verlander both makes sense. Um, if you brought both of them in next year, the payroll would probably still be a good deal under a hundred million, um, or, or maybe right about it pretty close to a hundred million. And then, yeah, maybe, maybe you go from there. Maybe you, you change the culture and the reputation of the Tigers, 
Um, the prospects are all filtering in by then, the top guys. And, yeah, you just hope that there's enough coming after that that they can, you know, trade and, and develop to um, to fill out the roster. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of us expect to ever, you know, anytime soon anyway, reach the heights that uh, Mike Illich was willing to spend to win a World Series. It just doesn't seem like right. we're ever going to get near that again. Yeah, and I think we've, we've seen why it can almost be dangerous to go to go that deep in. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and that's the, that's been the whole goal of this rebuild is to turn this into an organization that makes smart and savvy decisions, and that means you pick when to spend and when to not spend, and and that doesn't mean you're going to be operating, you know, only only buying out of the bargain bin for the next five years. Like I, I think they'll go sign a premium player too, and probably be judicious, you know, in terms of the types of extensions they hand out. Try to build around younger, controllable guys. That's one reason that the Pudge thing, like, like I definitely get it, but uh, free agency has changed so much since like 2004. Really, the game has changed a lot. Like, it was never going to be realistic for the Tigers to sign JT Real Muto this offseason. As like cool as that would have been, it just wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to want to come to Detroit, and the thing that the Tigers will have to sell more, like, look, they got Pudge Rodriguez because they offered him more money and, and more years than anyone else when there are some concerns about Pudge's back, you know. Um, yeah, and he was also, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, I mean, JT Romuto is 30, I think, but, I mean, Pudge was even a little bit older and a little bit yeah, more felt yeah, like, yeah, yeah, was. yeah, like he was only going to give uh, you another year or two of, of real yeah. Pudge performance. And, uh, but anyway, you're going to have the selling point of we have Casey Mize, we have Spencer Torkelson, we have Riley Green, and, and um, I think that's a good point on Pudge. I just pulled up his his page. I mean, I think just the name Pudge, you know, like he was worth 4.7 war in 2004, but on the 2006 World Series team, like he's only worth 2.9 war, which he was a really good catcher. Obviously, he's a great defensive catcher, but he was he was kind of well past his MVP prime at that point, even when he was with the Tigers. By the time the Tigers were actually good, he was he was he was on the decline. So um, I, I think because he was such a name and a marketable player that that almost gets over romanticized a little bit. Now, granted, that was great for changing the culture. That was great for attracting other people to Detroit. But um, yeah, it, yeah, in a lot of ways, it wasn't. It's not even really comparable to like bringing in Real Muto. So yeah, it uh, wasn't a competitive a competitive move so much as it was like a, a statement kind of move. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know, you know, we, we put out our top 30 list just this week, and what I've been thinking a lot about is the fact that, you know, we just don't really know what to expect, and, you know, when I write up these prospect reports on guys, most of them, you're kind of just going back to what you said last year, and, um, you know, and kind of saying, and, yeah. and who knows what might have happened, you know, in the past year, and, yeah. I, and I guess that's the thing, it's going to be going to be weird to see because there are you know there are some relievers like zach hess um you know maybe like a jason foley alex lang is another one who the tigers like a lot and um you know you never know like maybe one or all three of those guys you know took a little step forward you know over the past year and and some of those guys could pop so that'll be you know all those storylines will be interesting to follow as well just because so many of those guys were out of the limelight for a while um, the Tigers do have some of the, you know, the, the early big expenditures that they made in international free agency back in, you know, 2017, 2018, when they started sort of um, going, going a little bigger for, um, for the top guys. Um, those guys are now 18, 19, some of them 20 years old. So, 
Yeah, I mean, overall, like the whole organization, like this needs to be a year where we where we hopefully see a lot of development um, development coming, or we may, yeah, we may be in for for a, a, another couple more years of, uh, of of a tough go. But um, but yeah, there's just going to be so much to watch on that score too, just because so many of these guys have been out of the out of the spotlight, and a year in development time, obviously, for a 19, 20, 21 year old guy is just you know it's a lifetime. So. Um, it's also really hard to predict what impact some of those guys, you know, might have. But yeah, it really just feels like that that starting um, to kind of tie it back to where we where we began. The um, the starting pitching depth just wasn't there, and you know, it makes sense to try to try to address that. And the Tigers probably overpaid a little bit for for some of these guys like Holland and and Tehran, But um, but to have them around through camp and and give you those options at least sort of. Um, yeah, just sort of solidifies things and keeps you from having to make any any desperate decisions that you don't want to make. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot to watch this year, even if the the product on the field um, still isn't quite what we'd want. But I I, I don't know. I, I I feel like this bit of optimism creeping in that I haven't had in a long time, and um, I'm trying to fight it a little bit because uh, it's weird. It feels weird, <laughs> especially yeah, when I'm I'm still kind of disgruntled about the you know the off season and the fact that we didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> So, uh, but but it's going to be a lot more interesting, you know, team to watch this year. I think um, in in so many ways, and at least we have that to look forward to. I think it is too. I think you can just at least see like the future coming into focus a lot more. Like I think I I do. Like I think the worst of this thing is over, and they might not win a lot of games this year, but. You know, yeah, like I wrote this in a story the other day. Like these these prospects grew up fast, man. It's crazy to think that Mize Manning and Scooble will probably all be in the majors this year. Like they're like those guys are here and Torkelson and Green, if they if they hit in the minors this year, they're not gonna be super far behind. So you can see things coming to fruition, like the the really dark ages are over. I think this team will play better baseball and generally be a lot more fun to watch than that 2019 Tigers team that was just abysmal. Um, Maybe that's easy to say in February. Like, maybe we'll all be sick of this team by the summer. Um, But I think the trajectory of the organization, like, you can see it trending in a much much better direction than you could a couple years ago. And it doesn't mean that the Tigers are going to win the 2024 World Series. They got a lot of moves to make. They have a lot to do to really build this roster still. Um, but it's going to be more entertaining. It's going to be more interesting. And if, if you're really a diehard fan who's into what's going to happen with Teheran and Holland and these guys, like they're just some interesting moves to watch um, in terms of how this team's going to handle things day to day, how things will be done differently under AJ Hinch. So I, I'm definitely excited about it too. I'm pretty excited to cover this team, even though knowing it might not be um, the greatest team ever. It, it, it has a feeling of being the ground floor of something pretty exciting to me. And, and I, I hope that's not just spring optimism, but we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at, at, at worst, you know, or at, at least, you know, the, the days where it wasn't even just bad, but it but it almost had nothing to do with what was going to happen in the future are over. Yeah. So, yes, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. So at least you know, hopefully we've reached the point where the build is beginning um, in whatever form. You know, I've always felt you know fairly confident. You know, based on the way they were doing things, that the Tigers would get back to being a 500 team, say by 2023, somewhere in there, um, and then we'll have a whole nother you know 
row over you know whether or not Alavila is you know the guy to actually build yeah. the build yeah. the World Series <laughs> roster. Exactly. But uh, but yes, yeah, progress is coming. Um, look forward to uh, seeing what coverage you've got coming for us from Lakeland. Um, have a great time down there. Enjoy the weather. You've earned it. Um, suffering through these Michigan winters up here, you know, it's uh, it takes time to get used to, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks, and, and you take care as well. All right. Take care, brother. Have a good night. Yeah, you too.